1: Joining us today is a great partner of Ducks Unlimited. We have Daniel Hayes and Neil Hayes from Mossy Oak. Hey guys, welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Thanks for having us. us. We'll get this thing kicked off and we'll do this the same way that we do a lot of shows. I want you guys to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into Mossy Oak, but you know what you guys do at Mossy Oak, um, where is Mossy Oak located, you know, where you guys live, where you guys hunt, everything like that. So Daniel, can you go ahead and start us with that?
2: Uh, yeah, and Neil and I are twins, uh, and since we have such a uh, a strong history between Mossy Oak and Dad and our granddad and the outdoors in general, uh, pretty much our entire lives are kind of charted uh, alongside each other with all of our memories, hunting and growing up, and, you know, families are really important to us, so a lot of our memories, me and Neil are inseparable for most of our lives, even now, especially duck hunting, sharing a blonde with each other, and sharing the woods, so, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, we both growing up in west point uh went to mississippi state 15 minutes from uh from west point Campus is, is close by the office uh our parents grandparents everybody went there and then uh we're you know right after that back at, at Mossy oak and and ever since then we've just been uh working for Oak and uh taking on all sorts of, of different projects that fall under uh the brand no that's awesome and neil
3: how about you uh, yeah, kind of echoing what Daniel said, you know, we've we've grown up, you know, we had great influences growing up uh, with our granddad and our dad really teaching us a lot about not only hunting, but conservation and woodsmanship and taking care of the resource and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so it gives us good appreciation from a young age and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll teach our kids the same. And, you know, that's kind of what keeps all this around for everyone. And, you know, you guys know that better than anyone. So, um, but yeah, we're just, you know, we're big on, on, on you know, conservation and anything we can do to, to help the resource. And so we do, you know, a ton of work, uh, you know, and that's why I think Mossy Oak and Ducks Unlimited are such great partners just because, you know, they believe in a lot of, a lot of the same things. Absolutely.
1: Let's kind of discuss, you know, before we started the show, we had a brief conversation and, and to really get into like the story of Mossy Oak, you know, it's such a big brand, but, but, I don't know which one of you wants to take this on, but, you know, how did how did this start? How did the entire brand start?
3: Uh, I'll let Daniel kick us off with this one. He's a pretty good storyteller. There
2: you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Neil and I could both take this one. It's enjoyable to, to tell and to think about, even though we weren't around for the early days. Our granddad, uh, Pawpaw, as everybody else knows him as, as Mr. Fox, um, but he is from Mobile, Alabama, and so he grew up down there. And a lot of our family on his side of the family is from South Alabama. And so... Some of our old family friends had a an old hunting club called Choctaw Bluff that Neil could uh, go into the history a lot more uh, there of Choctaw Bluff, but because of, of Pawpaw hunting there, when dad was old enough to hunt, he spent a lot of his uh, life. You know, my granddad ended up coming to Mississippi State and building a life in West Point with my grandmother, and so that's uh, how Maltierk ended up being tied to this area, but he never left his roots to Choctaw Bluff and hunting with his uh, original hunting buddies. So what Pawpaw cared more about than anything back then was turkey hunting, and so he would uh take my dad turkey hunting uh down there and they had the uh, hunting club broken into a lot of different territories and there was a an area that had a tree on it that was kind of a, a meeting point because the, it was an, an oak mixed in the middle of a bunch of pines, so it was an easy identification to say, you know, meet at the mossy oak tree. So if you're hunting in the area where the mossy oak was, it was a common commonly known tree that you could uh use as a as a meetup point. So when uh dad was, you know, he was hunting with, with all turkey hunting every spring and getting frustrated at the uh, the lack of mobility that his camouflage offered him because back then, you know, it would have been uh, com- some kind of grimy looking military camo that really stuck out like a sore thumb in, uh, in South Alabama and built these intricate blinds to try to, you know, you'd pretty much have to be confined to one tree yeah. and... That doesn't really work out too well if you're turkey hunting as, as anybody who turkey hunts knows. So dad was so frustrated that there wasn't a simple solution because he just knew that if you had clothes on your back that resembled the area that you are hunting or looked like the tree that you were trying to sit up against, uh, that you could you wouldn't be confined to one tree. You could you know chase turkey, turkey around the woods and, and become invisible no matter where you were. So that kind of was the initial idea for, for Mossy Oak and uh, Bottomland, as everybody knows, the original pattern. Uh, the inspiration for it, it wasn't, you know, all sorts of companies pop up left and right. And, you know, somebody might just think they see an opportunity to uh, sell a camouflage T-shirt or a, a shirt or jacket or whatever it is for profit and turn it into a business and, and make a living. But dad's genuinely, he was just trying to figure out a, a way to better hide from turkeys.
1: <laughs> yeah, just kind of like uh, innovation due to necessity right there. You know, he was just trying to kill a turkey and that's awesome.
2: That is exactly right. So, yeah, so anyway, he, he literally got a, a handful of dirt sticks and leaves in a Ziploc bag and went to work with a, a designer and a, and a textile mill to try to figure out how to match up the and we have the if next time y'all are in west point you can come see it but we've got you know some of the original garments and the original uh cotton and the even the pantone colors and the original sketches of of bottomland with dad trying to figure out you know how to how to get the colors matched up perfectly with what he envisioned in his head uh and when they kicked around names for the company uh, trying to figure out what they were going to call it. Uh, they, they probably some, uh, some ones that wouldn't have aged quite as well, uh, trying to figure out what to call it. And, and, uh, they eventually between dad and Papa riding the dirt roads down there, the name Malcio just kind of popped in their heads and, you know, it was a perfect name. Uh, so it stuck and everybody loved it. And, and luckily we, I don't know that this name was actually kicked around, but everybody jokes that, uh, they were telling him to call it Invisiflage or some other goofy name like that. And, uh, <laughs> Uh,
3: thankfully for for everyone involved. Thank thank, thank goodness that never happened. <laughs> yeah, that didn't
2: happen, and and Malcy Oak, it uh, you know it it was an instant classic, and and we think it's a great name still to this day.
3: You know, when Dad was able to get that first roll of fabric printed and everything, you know, my grandmother uh, or our grandmother is a is a very very good expert sewer, and uh, so she sewed all the clothes together in the first early days. They so sew, she sewed everything in her attic, and. The, <laughs> Sorry, I have uh, my duck hunting dog in the room with me. <laughs>
1: no, it's perfect.
3: Yeah, I figured out add add a little bit of a you know to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Have a duck dog, but uh, but yeah, that that's part of the you know cool story is you know for the first couple of years, you know they're you know taking phone calls from the house line and so in the clothes in the attic and don't even have, you know, have enough money saved up yet to buy an office space or anything like that. So you know it really was a you know, built from the ground up type company out of nowhere. So um, there's a, it's a pretty cool uh, success story from, you know, doing something that everyone told you that just, you know, was kind of stupid and wouldn't work. And it was kind of, you know, just a silly idea kind of thing.
1: No, that's great. And it's a cool story. And I'd and I, and heard some of that or, or, or read most of it, but I, I'm sure that our audience did not know. But it, it's also cool when you sit there and you look at the logo, you know, the company logo truly is like, you know, that mossy oak. And, and my only question there is that tree still standing? Do you guys like own that property now or that, that one mossy
3: oak? No, it's uh, so the hunting club is, is owned uh, by kind of one family uh, and, and a lot of it's like leased ground mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But it's a really, I mean, the hunting club was started in the 1920s. It's one of the oldest turkey hunting clubs in, in North America, maybe the oldest, I'm not sure. But the uh, the tree actually got struck by lightning probably 15 years ago, something like maybe maybe longer. And uh, but the family that owns the property was able to salvage a bunch of the wood and get it cut into a bunch of uh, boards. And so you know over the last 15 years or so, we've been able to make some pretty cool, you know, making duck calls and turkey calls and, and things of that nature out of the wood. So we've been able to use the wood from the tree and some prequel cool projects
1: man that's cool that's kind of like a, the natural story you make a baseball bat out of it or something <laughs> so, yeah no our, our,
2: if we had more of the wood we would have had everything under the sun made from it and a baseball bat would have been uh one of those things but you know luckily we've been able to make some you know we've had turkey calls crow calls knife handles uh duck calls a bunch of really really cool things made obviously not for sale yeah uh, short of a few you know auctions that we've used you know we've got our local auction that raises money for St. Jude and Catch a Dream and then uh, we've done some stuff with NWtF WTF would probably have something that would make sense for uh, a waterfowl project in the future but yeah those are those were made for family friends and uh people in our immediate family and that have been around Mossy Oak forever and and whatnot but there have been some some really cool things and uh I'll, I'll give the short version of of this story but we actually the most obscure uh part of that you know what we've made with the mossy oak wood but that is also one of the coolest because it's the only one that you're able to share with somebody is we made a barrel of whiskey with uh, jefferson's reserve and Trey Zeller up there in kentucky mm-hmm. and you know we, we don't we wouldn't have always assumed like woodford has a double oaked whiskey and i never i was didn't know anything about that process and i assumed it had something to do with the barrel and you know we don't have enough wood left now to even make a stave let alone a whole barrel but we ended up uh talking to them and they have just kind of like a finishing process where they can char little pieces of oak and they can take an already you know eight or ten year old barrel of bourbon and uh, steep some wood in there that's uh you know they know the temperature and the the surface area and the type of wood to bring out certain flavors and all that kind of stuff so they charred some of the mossy oak wood took a barrel of jefferson's that had already been aching 9 or 10 years and then finished it with the Malti wood in there for another uh, about year and a half. And then a few Christmases back, we had that barrel bottled uh, for some family friends and some people close to us. And, you know, all the other things that we've made with the wood are really cool, but they're, you know, it's just one very tangible, you know, call or whatever it is that, that you own. Uh, but the the bourbon is extremely cool because if somebody's in camp with us, you know, we can share a glass and you're literally drinking a small piece of history yeah. uh, with the Malti wood there. So. That is uh, that is one of the coolest things that we've done with it.
1: Yeah, that is really cool. Now I know that you guys are both diehard duck hunters. Do either one of you have a call from the wood?
3: We do. Yes, oh, we both. Cool. Uh, yeah, and and some people uh, in the family decided to put theirs up on a shelf, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, not, but I put mine. Uh, I don't really blow it uh, much, but I put it on my lanyard, and it goes with me everywhere I go. So it's a little beat up from some of the rough. Uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've been known to. Uh, go the extra mile and go through briar patchers and, and buck brush and whatever i have to go through to get to where i need a duck hunt so i've i beat my gear up pretty good uh and so my my call is probably not as in uh, good shape as most people do but yeah you know, i take mine everywhere i go
2: luckily the you know we we had a pretty
3: we were able to salvage a decent amount of the wood at first so
2: we were able to we didn't have to be stingy with you know everyone in the family got a duck call everyone in the family got a, a turkey call and and whatnot so we're not making any more of that wood it's got to got to stay around forever so the last little bit we've got left we're very very protective of i'll bet that's pretty cool and that's
1: i mean that just brings that that story kind of full circle where you have something in your hand from that tree and, and that, that's just cool um you know so the entire company was kind of based from a turkey hunting perspective but you guys consider yourselves maybe more duck hunters or turkey hunters
3: I would say, uh, both, you know, Daniel is probably the same way and our dad's the same way. And we, we all love to deer hunt, but duck hunting and turkey hunting are definitely our biggest passions. And, uh, you know, dad grew up, you know, we always say, you know, he grew up and he designed the camo to hide from turkeys and all that, but he grew up duck hunting on those same river bottoms that he was shooting turkeys in and, you know, mostly shooting wood ducks, but, you know, he grew up duck, duck hunting a lot and was a very avid duck hunter from an early age and as, as was our grandfather. So yeah, they, they definitely, you know, he's been, both of them have been duck hunting their entire lives. Uh, but the, the hiding from turkeys is kind of what sparked the idea, mm. but then it grew into obviously hiding from all, all animals in nature. And like Neil said, yeah, turkey and, turkey and ducks kind of always are our
2: two favorite things to uh, hunt. And as anyone knows who's, warm bottomland and, and flooded timber the the necessity of developing that camouflage pattern originated with turkeys but because of the area that he was hunting in the habitat that he was hunting in it's stood the test of time is probably the most versatile camouflage pattern for hunting that's ever been created because it does work so well uh whether you're duck hunting or turkey hunting and, and and a lot of areas deer hunting too uh it's just such a good pattern and and especially nowadays it's become timeless because you got a whole different new generation that didn't grow up with it but that has been introduced to it now and you know you it might have been developed in 1986, but now you can find anybody from a, a teenager to someone who's been hunting their their whole life, and is an old man uh, wearing it. So I think it's 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 pretty cool to see the kind of like generational span of of people that love to wear Bottomland, whether they're duck hunting or turkey hunting or deer anything.
1: Yeah, no, I mean Bottomland's so popular, and and that that kind of leads me to my next question, and 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 I don't know if you guys have a good. I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but kind of the original Bottomland. kind of had a resurgence you know recently and well not too recently but you know how did you guys see that or 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 even your dad it's like you know was that just like more vindication for that pattern when this kind of resurgence of the original bottom line
3: it it started really Daniel and myself and. the you know, a small group of friends and uh, really, you know, buying stuff. People would start selling stuff on eBay. And it's, you know, a small group of people just would, you know, really love Bottomland. You couldn't buy it anywhere. It would kind of been discontinued. And, and people were starting to pay, you know, crazy amounts for certain products in Bottomland, old vintage clothes, clothes and stuff like hats or whatever. And, you know, we started seeing people paying, you know, five, six, seven times what, what it was originally purchased for on eBay. And we we're like, well, you know, all this attention, all these people paying, you know, all this money for Bottomland, we should probably uh, consider bringing it back and so that's kind of where uh bringing it back started was just all the attention it was getting on you know ebay and stuff like that
1: yeah so and i'm I'm just gonna assume that you guys probably just answered this question but but what is each of you do you guys have like a a specific pattern that you prefer over any other of all mossy oak patterns
3: uh yeah probably bottom land i mean you're you're rarely gonna uh i mean we we love all the patterns you know like especially uh you know, turkey hunting, you know, definitely love obsession and green leaf and some of those patterns and duck hunting love, you know, the grass patterns and all that. Um, but you know, most nine times out of 10, if we're hunting somewhere, we're standing next to a tree. And, uh, so we usually have bottom line on. Yeah. And, uh, you know,
2: we've, we've got a lot of, of different patterns that have stood the test of time and shattergrass is obviously a, a phenomenal pattern that was introduced in the nineties, uh, and the, newer iterations of that with shadowgrass blades and shadow habitat you know those are those are awesome patterns but the connection to the family and the history of Mossy oak and the places that we hunt and all the uh the you know old jackets we've stolen from papa and dad out of their closets and and all the good stuff like that but putting on bottom line and uh and and going to do whatever kind of hunting you're hitting the woods for is it just you know we've got a lot of old garments and and stuff that just feels like an old friend and uh especially the stuff that was passed down that we stole from Papa or dad. And a lot of that old history is just like embodied in Bottomland And, uh, some of the other original patterns, you know, Bottomland's like the greatest hit, but, and a lot of people love green leaf in early season deer hunting and especially turkey hunting. But, uh, they, it kind of, you know, Bottomland is always there. It's an absolute classic and it's timeless, but there's a lot of those vintage patterns that, uh, maybe are more obscure. You know, every, most people are aware of green leaf and tree stand and, uh, the original shattergrass pattern but then you've got some of the uh you know full foliage and fall foliage that were part of that first four four five, six years of of camouflage that not as many people know about that if you have a an old jacket or a shirt or, or whatever they're they're pretty cool patterns and there's not as much clothing to go around with those on them because they haven't been reintroduced from the archives but yeah we've got a lot of obscure patterns to choose from in the archives too
1: No, that's cool and i know i was pretty excited to see you know the original shadow grass kind of made an appearance that's what i you know started hunting in the 90s early to mid 90s uh, when i started duck hunting and that in, in growing up in indiana I, I felt like shadow grass had a had a really strong foothold there rather than bottom lines because we're not we don't hunt like flooded timber you know like duck hunting we're more it's a much more variable habitat so um you know I was a big guy, you know, big fan of Shadowgrass, the original. And then you guys brought that back out with Filson a couple years ago. And that was that was just so cool. I mean, I was even getting emails because I think we ran a couple of the products in the magazine. And uh, I got a bunch of emails from people like, hey, man, when's that going to be available? You know, even some buddies I grew up hunting with because we thought Shadowgrass was just like the most awesome thing ever. And um, some guys I grew up hunting with were like, oh, do you have one of those? Like, that is so cool. So that, that's, that's all kind of a, an interesting aspect to the Mossy Oak story is how, you know, these patterns have stood the test of time and, and continue to be brought back to the forefront and by, by fans. I mean, I guess, I guess that's a way to, to describe, you know, fans of the pattern. Um, you know, we can probably get into all the different patterns and and talk like that forever, but, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you guys is Mossy Oak, you know, you described the history of the, you know, of the company, of the brand, um, even the garments, but, you know, you guys have grown from just, you know, what you're describing, you know, sewing, your grandmother sewing in the attic to, you know, almost like a, a, a massive media company. Um, how has that transition within the company? You know, you know, you're a camo company, but, you know, that, that you, now that you guys have Mossy Oak Go, you have, you know, multiple companies underneath Mossy Oak. Um, how has that transition been? And how, how did that kind of get rolling?
2: I think you have to go way back to get to the origins of that. But even, even before that, if you're talking about all that Mossy Oak has grown into, you you have to start with uh, you know, at some point in the nineties, the the first few years of the company it was all camouflage and like Neil said, my grandmother uh sewing garments in her uh sewing room attic and pop all answering the phone for the one eight hundred number and, and they were running a gun in with just a few of them uh for the early days. And then the first evolution of Oak past camouflage was uh what probably most people aren't aware of unless you're part of the ebay group that Neil was talking about but or you have some of your your dad's old shirts but a lot of people consider the greatest uh button down shirts ever made were part of the Oak companions line uh, and that was the first beyond camouflage Oak's first step into casual clothing you know heavyweight chamois shirts and lightweight really soft brush cotton shirts and uh a few jackets work pants and and things like that And it was all under the Oak companions uh brand name and it was dad's slogan that he used for it was instant old friends and it was you know the thing that embodies the identity of an instant old friend whether it's the first 24 hours you spend with a new duck dog or a night in camp with uh somebody who's like-minded to you you know cooking and drinking and listening to music and uh shared a blind with each other and then the way that your favorite jacket feels when you pull it out of the closet and he wanted to replicate that through you know the first time you take it off the coat hanger it it feels like the your, your new favorite shirt Companions was the first foray in you know, beyond camouflage, making casual wear, and it was all uh, you know. Let what Dad is stay true to, even to this day. That's guided everything we do is, um, and the reason I'm talking about it is, he was obsessed with this idea that everything we do is guided by Mother Nature and the critters and wildlife in the land. And so he wanted the 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 clothing to be developed with a color palette of you know it was all dirt, sticks, leaf, bark, leaf, kind of you know same colors that you would find in the first patterns that are all the vintage patterns that you see now. Um and then a few years past that, uh, there was I, dad tells a story and I'm probably gonna butcher part of it, but there was a really there was a really warm winter and it was like a bunch of the the big sporting goods retailers for uh honey brands and apparel uh, had a had a tough winter and everybody was kind of freaking out and it kind of inspired Dad to you know think a little more deeply about just the apparel that we're selling and you know, he he started thinking more about the uh you know, if it's if it weren't for the critter, we wouldn't have anything to hunt. And If it weren't for the land that uh, that provides habitat and and a home for the for the critters, then the critters wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be here. And he he he's always been obsessed and has been instilled through my granddad and my grandma too uh, of of this obsession with the outdoors and the the wildlife and the and the dirt. Um, but he, from a Mossy Oak perspective, really started thinking a lot more deeply about that in the '90s. And uh, some of the first things that we did to branch out beyond you know clothing were uh, biologic and multi properties and uh, multi native nurseries and the things that have kind of grown into what we call the gamekeeper uh, brands. So for people not familiar, multi properties was started a little over 20 years ago now uh, to provide, you know, a real estate franchise model and brand for, for people that are, you know, just like us, if you're looking for hunt land or recreational uh, ag, timberland, whatever things that uh, the average for lack of a better term, somebody that, that, lives in a concrete jungle uh if you're trying to buy a piece of hunt land you'd rather take it from a hunter than you would from somebody who's who's never been outside the city uh and and that kind of is where Mossier properties originated and that was born out of this obsession for the land and taking care of it and having authentic people who are going to to be the actual ones that are uh you know leading that conversation and then Mossier Biologic, again really natural but it was on the probably the the first really big company to to think more about wildlife nutrition and now you know you can uh you can buy forage and and seed for for any animal that we that we hunt whether it's uh planting wildflowers and or if it's you know things you want to plant for ducks deer turkeys and and all that good stuff uh but that started really naturally too thinking about the critters and you know what they eat and all these back then kind of bogus people feeding uh whitetail and and turkey and duck and whatever people didn't really think that much about it they would kind of treat it like uh anybody would treat you know, their cattle farm or whatever. And so they, they were just sort of thinking there has to be a better way. That's more nutritional that puts the critter first instead of just kind of saying, Oh, we're going to follow these best practices for a cattle farm and, and call it a day. Uh And then multi native nurseries is our probably, I would say the most obscure of all those. If you haven't actually been to West Point or, or you're not a, uh, you know, a tree guy, you might not be aware of it, but that was mine and Neil's first summer jobs when we were in high school, it was working at our tree nursery and pulling weeds and, uh, Plant acorns and and gather acorns from our favorite different trees around uh, around town with Dad and a guy named Dudley Phelps. So That's like our local tree guru. Um, but the nursery was our you know the next kind of these little things that pop up naturally that uh, are things that Dad's obsessed with. That are, it's it, none of none of these things are Dad sitting down at night thinking what can I do to make more money. They're all natural obsessions that are like okay. My mom literally walked outside in the backyard one day and saw a thousand trees growing from seedlings stacked up in the corner by the, the fishing pond. And she's like, all right, you got to do something about this. We can't, our backyard can't be overtaken by all these acorns that, that you keep gathering up. So the, the nursery started out of necessity uh, with that. And, you know, now we've even got, we've got gamekeepers, as I mentioned, and we publish, you know, before stewardship became a, a buzzword outside the hunting world, the Gamekeeper Magazine Journal for Wildlife Stewardship has been published quarterly for a decade, um, providing, you know, habitat tips and, and ways to improve your, your hunting property, whether you got a lease or you own a bunch of land or whatever it is, these really manageable, accessible projects that you can do to make your little piece of dirt better. Uh, and now we've even got a dog kennel and we breed, mulchia kennels, breeds British labs for, you know, all sorts of things. Obviously the labs are great family dogs, but primarily for duck hunting, uh, and it's 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 all just kind of grown, you know. The well is this obsession with the critters and the and the dirt that Papa and Dad have kind of instilled in in our family and and everything that Dad does it kind of is generated from that.
1: Yeah, no, it's awesome, and and you know, just kind of you you kind of ran down the list, and I think that really that really provides our listeners, you know, an idea of the the breadth of of mossy oak, and it's really cool. Like you said, it all stems all, each one of these stems from you know, what I would consider like, you know, like the habitat, you know, the, in, in, in the animals, the wildlife, the habitat, and it all kind of leads back to a, a real conservation ethic. Uh, one more that I wanted to ask you about, and, and it's Mossy Oak Wellness. Um, you know, where did that kind of come from? And, 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 you know, how involved with that are, are you guys?
2: Uh, yeah, there's, there's some other, uh, some other people in the company that are more hands-on with that than uh, than I am, but that's a, that's another cool, you know, new piece of, Uh, mossy oak that is you know just a little more focused on uh it's right now just drink mixes but hopefully we'll grow into some other things that that are they're helpful for people for people that are living their life outside uh you know having some little pieces of 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 that life to to take with them and continue to build out this kind of all-encompassing uh anything you do outside having mossy oak be a part
1: of it kind of mentality. Very cool. You know, a couple more things that I wanted to talk to you guys about, but you know, you kind of hit on the Mossy oak Kennels, but I know both of you guys have, you know, I'm I'm assuming both of you guys, well, you both said you have your dogs in your office. So I'm you guys do. But do are you guys, you know, more hands on which one of you is probably the most hands-on like retriever trainer?
3: Uh I would probably be myself. Uh but <laughs> uh,
2: yeah i
3: uh, Neil, Neil, I have to cut in and say Neil's
2: also blessed with uh Timbo, who is one of the greatest duck dogs that any of us have ever hunted with, so uh, while he might be a little better trainer than than I am, he's also blessed with the
3: the best dog in town. Yeah, some some would say that a, do- a dog is only as good as his trainer as well. So no, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. Timbo's, Timbo Timbo uh, blessed with great genes, and you know, I, so what kind of started the kennel thing is, you know, growing up, I was just a you know, I wanted my own dog. My dad had dogs growing up, but you know, I never had a dog that was my own. And I asked for you know every Easter christmas birthday whatever it may have been from when i was 10 years old to you know high school always wanted a dog moan always wanted a dog moan and dad always said well you know you won't be able to handle the responsibility you're too young and so finally uh he got me a dog when i was like 16 got me a a black lab and british lab and his name was jake and that kind of started you know he was an unbelievable dog the whole family loved him he was a family dog and you know, that kind of sparked our obsession with kind of lab, British labs specifically, but, you know, just seeing how great of dogs they were. And so from that really is where the um, the kennel was kind of originated, kind of, you know, breeding and, and selling British labs. And uh, anyway, Timbo is the son of Jake. So Jake was my first dog. Timbo has been my second dog. And both of them were phenomenal dogs. But yeah, I think, you know, people, everybody loves to duck hunt, but... You know anybody that has a dog will tell you that um, you know it just may, you know it's just not as much fun without a dog. Um, It just adds that whole dynamic. And you know I I do a lot of times, and I'm sure a lot of people do this, but I I duck hunt you know four or five times a year. I'll just go out, just me and Timbo. We'll go way off into the back of the swamp and when an Argo or a boat or something, and we'll you know we'll just go kill you know try to kill scratch out a limited ducks just me and him. And you know I love hunting with friends when turkey hunting and, and duck hunting specifically, but you know, there's a really cool um, thing about just hunting with you and a dog, just you know, by yourselves out in the woods, nobody's talking, it's just completely quiet. And um, so, anyway, a few times a year, I love just you know, Timbo and I just striking out through the woods and seeing if we can't bring back a few ducks.
0: You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.
1: What would you consider to be like, you know, your best duck hunting moment or you know kind of like neil explained like that's something that he really looks forward to but but daniel for you like what makes duck hunting so special to you
2: yeah, that, that, my answer is pretty similar to neil now that you know neil just had his first son Toxy junior and uh i just got engaged a week ago but i don't have kids yet so our our kids is, and, and and you know baby baby toxi is not a year old yet so uh our dogs are our you know I've, every single person that we know and and uh everybody that takes their kids hunting they they all it's like your life has changed and you've got a whole different you know motivation to get out there and, and make it good and share it with your kids and all that kind of stuff but for now uh yeah with no and i, I got to mention just uh, be remiss forgetting it but uh with the kennels bill gibson who's our uh multi-ex director of gun dog ap- operations which i think we're probably the only outdoor brand that has that job title uh but the kennels are actually in my backyard, and Neil, before he got married, uh, lived in that house with me. So we both spend a lot of time around all the dogs because we can hear him barking every second of the day, two hundred yards from our our backyard. So we're we're back there all the time. And uh, Bill Gibson uh, is my dad's next door neighbor, and so for years he would he bred dogs in the backyard, and him and dad would go train dogs in the backyard in their in their fishing pond back there. So that came about really naturally from uh, from them. But yeah, I would. Back to me personally, hunting. You know, we we're really really lucky that we live in, in West Point, which if you haven't been here, it's a very small town, uh, right outside of Starville, where Mississippi State is, and all of our family's uh, hunt land that we've grown up with is is right here on the edge of town. So you know we can we can get duck hunting, stay at the cabin, wake up, go duck hunt with the dogs, and stroll into the office, barely late for work with you know barefoot, leave the waiters in the bed of the truck, and and walk right in. So we're we're really lucky that our duck hunting is really accessible and, you know, do all in thanks to, to dad because obviously East Mississippi over here, we're uh, or Northeast. We're not in the natural flyway. So it's really, really important for us more so than maybe areas that are in the direct flyway to, to have a lot of food and, and imprint on these ducks and, and give them a reason to come back. And, you know, luckily, since we've been in kindergarten and not old enough to, to know that's how that ducks have to eat anything, uh, dad's been worried about habitat and, and having food for for ducks to be able to count on and uh, having a little sanctuary set aside that he can plant every year and we don't hunt and we know that the ducks can not us treat it like a little reservoir and uh, luckily the whole time we were growing up dad was year after year after year just obsessed with with ducks and getting them back every single year and and giving them a reason outside of the main flyway to to stop through on the edge of West Point, Mississippi, and give us give us a little something to hunt. So, our standards for a good hunt might not be the same as somebody who's hunting some famous uh, duck area in the Delta or in Arkansas or whatever. But uh, luckily, I, w- I wouldn't trade it for the for being lucky enough to hunt 20 minutes from the office and, and stroll back in in our small town here. So, being able to get out there a lot with our with our dogs, uh, one one piece of that that's, that's kind of funny is that me, Neil, and Dad are, are almost always the three of us hunting together. And like Neil said, occasionally if the schedules don't uh, work out, we'll, you know, we'll split up. Neil and Timbo go by themselves or, or whatever. But for the most part, we're always hunting together. Dad's got his dog Gus. Neil's got his dog Timbo and I've got my dog Fitz. So a lot of people think, Oh, if we hunt, if we hunted 20 mornings in a row, they might think that our dog is the most well-seasoned dog and northeast mississippi but we are on a constant rotation so uh the, some dog is going to get their feelings hurt every single morning because the three of us are going to go and it's gus's turn then it's Timmy's turn then it's Fitz's turn uh so they're they're always subbing in and out for each other so we've always
3: got one chomping out the bits ready to go
1: that's awesome
3: go ahead neil yeah just to answer your question though but i think um my you know my favorite part of waterfowl hunting is you know probably a lot of people's is, is just how cool it is you know because you know you manage a place and, and, you live in a place and, you know, your ducks and your deer, I mean, your turkeys and your deer are there year-round. Always, they're always on your farm, wherever your place is, wherever you hunt. Um, but it's just such a cool aspect of, you know, the ducks just completely leaving, going thousands of miles away. You know, some all the way as far as Alaska and just how cool it is to know that that duck can just turn back around and fly right back to where he left and knowing right where he left and imprinting ducks and and, uh, giving them a reason, like Daniel said, to come back to that area and, you know, creating, you know, dad's got this, he's had this obsession for over 20 years now, the first piece of dirt he ever bought in Mississippi. He immediately built a duck impoundment and then he just, it started from there and he's probably built, you know, 14 or 15 waterfowl impoundments on you know our family land here in West Point, over the years, We just got this obsession with creating waterfowl habitat, and it's been really cool to see over the years. But you know, but one, uh, as far as favorite stories from hunting, I, there's a lot of them. My favorite, you know, my my first uh, band, you know, I was probably about 12 years old, and dad dad and I were one afternoon saw you know it was a bunch of mallards coming in this corn flooded cornfield we had, and we went out and just kind of built a little makeshift line out of some cane. And uh sure enough, first first Greenhead that came in the decoys I shot, you know, like he didn't even bring a gun, he just watched me shoot and uh, you know, shot Greenhead, killed it, dog went out there and got it and brought it back and, and you know, having my first band, just me and dad hunting together like that, um, has always been a really special memory. And then one other memory was uh, um one of our friends is a uh a Navy SEAL, you know, he's been a Navy SEAL for over twenty years, uh, about as decorated as you can be. And but about I don't know, maybe ten years ago he you know, he had a kid, you know, about ten years old and he was like, you know, he's just wearing me out. He's you know, he's killed like a wood duck, but he's just obsessed with wanting to kill a mallard. He's never killed one. It's like a dream of his to kill a mallard. And at the and that year, you know, we had, it was a great duck hunting and we were seeing a lot of mallards. And so I was like, Look, that's no problem. We'll go out, you know, come over here this weekend and, and we'll do, and we'll get it done. And so we were setting up the decoys, you know, the first light, you know, I told his son, I said, Come out here, you know, we're standing kind of out there outside the blind closer to the decoys right at first light and you know watching ducks come in before shooting hours and he you know he's just you know head spinning and uh anyway the right after shooting light uh the first greenhead that came the decoys you know we're standing out there and he shot it and my dog jake went out there and picked it up and brought it back and sure enough it had a, a band on it so that was his uh his first mallard ever was a banded greenhead. so uh, Man, i always like to awesome. tell that story that was a pretty cool pretty cool deal to, yeah. To do that and then get get back to our friend who's spent so many years in the service and, uh, you know, helping him out, get his kid, a, uh, his first mallard.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. I don't think you could have set that up any better. I mean, you couldn't script that yeah. thing, you know, f- banded <laughs> duck on the first one. That's like, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and that kind of brings it all full circle right there with, you know, your guys' passion for you know the habitat, really. It's and it's not just the habitat, as we discussed. It's everything to do with the habitat: the ducks, deer, turkeys. You know all the wildlife, and and that kind of leads me to you know one of my last questions here. Just when you guys were looking for let's you know a, a partner in conservation, um, you know what what made you guys kind of gravitate towards Ducks Unlimited?
2: Well, I think Ducks Unlimited, more so than a lot of other organizations, it's kind of one of those things that is. You know, there's, there's always been this struggle in the whitetail world for somebody to kind of crack the code of making everybody feel like they have to be part of an organization. It's never really worked out. But you, I mean, what someone does similar with turkeys, even though National Wild Turkey Federation has done an amazing job building the community and uh, they do a lot of great work. But, you know, the what's, how someone treats their turkey habitat in Michigan is not ever going to affect the turkey population in West Point uh mississippi and you know same with deer what somebody does in illinois is never gonna have an effect on on what we're doing down here barring some crazy chain of events that uh, happens but with with waterfowl you can't do it on your own and without the the help of someone like ducks unlimited uh taking care of of all these really daunting problems that there's no way little hunting communities can solve on their own uh there's just there's just no possible way that we would all survive or that we would know that somebody is looking after the the critters and and waterfowl all over north america and good hands no matter what point of the migration they're on or if it's habitat down here for people that only see them when they're hunting or if it's habitat from stopover areas or or parts of the country that people never travel and it's just it's more essential with waterfowl i feel like than just about anything else to make sure that people like you guys are taking care of everything for us so that the ducks are going to show back up next year and we know that when the duck season closes, waiting on next November to come, uh, that y'all are working with all the best biologists in the country and working with all the best local landowners and farmers and, and whoever else is taking care of all these projects that, that are completely essential to making sure that the resource is around for another hundred years. Awesome, man. No, that's
1: perfect. And I know, uh, here at Ducks Unlimited, we appreciate Mossy Oaks partnership. Um, you know, it, it, it just seems to be such a natural fit and, and you guys are a great partner. Um, even with things like this, coming on the podcast, kind of sharing your story. Um, it's really cool for our audience to hear your guys' personal stories. And, um, uh, one last question before I get you out of here, who's a better shot between you two? Oh, it got it got quiet real quick.
2: <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll answer this so Neil doesn't sound like he's bragging, uh, but Neil, Neil is Neil's better at a lot of things than me. I feel like I have to try a little harder at the. You know, my my dad and my granddad both have. You know, I think they're woodsmen on the level that that Daniel Brun or some old frontiersman would appreciate. They've got this level of woodsmanship that's unbelievable, and you really see it when you're turkey hunting more than anything. But Neil. Uh, Neil has a lot of that in him, and I've got a lot of the get lost in the woods walking to the tree uh, in me. And I think I guess that translates to Neil being a better shot, too, because I can, I've got no problem admitting uh, that one.
3: There's uh, There's been plenty of days where Daniel's outshot me. Uh, so, yeah, it just depends on the day, I think.
1: That's awesome. That's, that's cool. That was, that was a good way to answer. You guys are both so nice to each other. It's awesome.
3: Uh, Being, being kind, not, not ribbing the, Once the phone call ends, once the phone call ends, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into an argument about who's the better shot.
1: (laughs) Perfect. That's all I was trying to do is just start an argument between you guys. (laughs) Man, guys, this has been great. Um, you know, I really enjoyed hearing your guys' story, hearing the, you know, Mossy Oak story. Um, I appreciate you coming on and you know what, we're going to have to try and get you guys back on again, especially once season kicks on, you know, maybe, or the season kicks in, what we can do is bring you on to kind of do a little bit of a, maybe a migration type update from your area down there. Just kind of see what you guys are seeing. Uh, we still have what, like a month or so till, uh, season kicks in there. So.
3: Yeah, we're, we're already starting to see some, uh, it's it's not even November yet. We're already starting to see big ducks flying around and, and using some of the water that we have. Most of our stuff is, is dry, but some of the sloughs and stuff there's already ducks around. So. I mean,
1: that's that's exciting. That's that's a way to get get excited about it.
3: Yeah, just it's hard to watch them for a whole month knowing you can't go do anything about it. But yeah, I mean it's it is fun watching them. Though. And then that dad says all the time, you know, he spends all his energy creating this waterfowl habitat, and for the you know he loves to shoot ducks more than that, just as much as the next person, but more than that, he loves watching ducks. You know, he'll just go out and just watch ducks for hours and just watch them flying in and big groups coming into the ponds, and and just you know he just he loves being able to just sit and watch them, and so that's one his favorite things and so i've always thought that's pretty cool he,
2: he is he did definitely his obsession comes out if you ever get there's there's some warnings where he's paranoid that we don't have any ducks anywhere and you know we go to the one spot where he knows we have ducks and legal shooting time gets here and he won't let anybody in the blind shoot and he just wants to watch the ducks fly because he's, he's, he's so paranoid that the that the ducks are going to leave or that we're gonna you know for a short term 10-15 minutes right at shooting light uh killing a bunch of ducks is, is gonna gonna harm the rest of the season or yeah. whatever so they're they're playing more yeah, where a he lot just gets of... out there and watches ducks and and me and Neil are kind of elbowing him in the ribs and <laughs> he uh yeah i mean he he's like a kid in a candy store if, if he's got ducks and he's watching them flies you just see the little twinkle in his eye he's, you know there's that little there's like a i think a natural wonder that everybody's born with that you have when you're a kid when you're walking around the woods and everything's new and the world kind of uh you know conditions people to leave that behind as they grow up but dad never lost that and whether it's turkeys, deer ducks or even walking around with my grandmother uh seeing all the wildflowers that are grown on our property i mean every every aspect of the of the land and the and the critters he's just obsessed with
1: that's awesome no that's perfect hey guys i appreciate you coming on but like i said we're gonna have to do it again here soon um and yeah thanks a lot
3: yeah we'd love to come back and uh, we appreciate you having us and uh look forward to talking ducks in the future
1: I'd like to thank my guests, Daniel and Neil Hayes from Mossy Oak for joining me today and talking about the history of Mossy Oak and a little bit about their own duck hunting, which was awesome. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting Welland's conservation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DUPodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team.